If you have your Bible, we're going to be mostly in Romans chapter 5. You, could, you can turn there. We'll also be in Luke 15 in a bit as well. Um, as Dave mentioned, we're talking about peace this morning. and, and uh, So I just want to... Sometimes people need something to like do as they're, uh, as they're listening. So I'm going to just kind of throw some of these to you guys. Um, who else wants one of these? You want one, Daniel? Awesome. Amy? Awesome. Excellent. Oh, sorry. My daughter Hannah over here wants one. Do you want one, Ben? I got to keep one, but I have one more left. Who wants it? Sorry, John. You raised your hand too late. Um, I think there's a politically correct name for these things, um, but I always knew them as, as Chinese handcuffs, right? So uh, there's probably some politically correct name for them. So go ahead and, and have fun. Enjoy while, uh, while we study the word with those. Um, so we're in our series on pillars, right? And I want to, I mentioned it last week, but I want to kind of reinforce it again this week, is that this idea, these, these eight concepts that we'll be talking about this morning are foundational for us in our worldview and just the Christian faith um, and, and these really support who we are and what we think and how we believe and, and how we react to situations that present themselves in this world. Last week we talked about hope. This week we're talking about peace. And it is absolutely foundational for us to fully understand what we have in peace. We'll, we'll talk about that this morning, but it's there, we could talk lots and lots of different directions on this idea of, of peace, what it means to have peace. But I want to focus in on, on one particular aspect of peace. Um, and that's the, the Greek word for peace is irene. It appears every time the word peace appears in Scripture in the New Testament, it's this word irene, and it means the Messiah's peace. I want to stop before I read the rest of that definition. The Messiah's peace. Every time in the New Testament, when this word peace appears, this is what it's communicating. The Messiah's peace. Jesus' peace. It's really important for us. We'll we'll talk about the the depth and the, the ramifications of all of that. But every single time peace appears in the New Testament, it's talking about the Messiah's peace, Jesus' peace. Not your own, not something you can muster or manufacture, or not something that, that another person in this world can give to you. It's the Messiah's peace. It also, going on, this definition, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. I think for us in this age, in this culture where we've been in Iraq and Afghanistan for who knows how many years and why we're there and all the politics of that, when we hear the word peace, it's it's like a lack of war or a lack of strife. When we see it in Scripture, it's the tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation. If we are fully aware and fully confident and peaceful with the knowledge of what is to come, the salvation of our souls, and that we will be in 
for eternity in perfection, fully in perfect relationship with God and with other people, with other souls. If we operate in our world with that knowledge, with that understanding, that that paints every single thing that we see and do, how we interact with people, how we interact with tornadoes, how we interact with, with life, pain, tragedy, divorce, abuse, cancer, death, life. This tranquil state of the soul has to change how we view things. So this, really, this idea of, of the series of pillars is about putting on glasses that allow us to see the world through the fact of peace. At the heart of the message this morning, at the heart of peace, is this idea. God is not mad at you anymore. I want you to, the prayer that I've had for me this week is that those words would ring in your head all week long. And you would meditate on that idea, that concept. Because at the heart of peace is this idea that God is not mad at you anymore. Martin Luther says this, and you guys are probably aware of of Luther's situation. He grew up, his dad, he was he was sort of intelligent. Uh, his dad wanted him to be a lawyer, and he was studying to be a lawyer, and he was like at the back half of his class in, in both undergrad and his graduate degree programs and all those things. And he, there was a, a moment where lightning struck him, and he said, if you save me from this, he was in a lightning storm, if you save me from this, I'll become a monk, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And we think that that, that was the turning point for Luther, that he, something changed in him, in that lightning storm, but ultimately he was still wrestling with this fact that God was angry at him. For 25 years of his life, he wrestled with this idea that God was angry at him. He didn't understand this idea of peace. So he says this, I did not think about women, money, or possessions, really the things that distract a man of of Luther's age. I did not think about women, money, or possessions. Instead, my heart trembled and fidgeted about whether God would bestow me his grace. For I strayed from faith and I could not imagine that I could not but imagine that I had angered God, whom I in turn had to appease by doing good works. If I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. For 25 years, Luther wrestled with this idea. This is what permeated his brain. So for us, we wind up on one side or the other. We wind up thinking that there's no way that I can have peace because of who I am. Or we go thinking on the other end that if I can do enough, I can gain some peace. Neither of those situations allow us any peace. Let's look at at this idea in Scripture. Very simple verse. You've heard it many times. I preached it last week at the beginning. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We could spend a lot of time this morning talking about the wrath of God. Romans 3 is filled with just rough verses 
Their mouths were as open graves. Before Christ, your mouth was an open grave. The venom of ass was on your lips. Go back this week and read Romans 3. We can talk about a lack of peace and what that looks like. Um, I had an email conversation with, with uh, Mallory, who's back with our kids this week, thinking about this idea of, of God's wrath. And we, we, we talked about the story of Noah's Ark, right? When I, when I say to you Noah's Ark, what do you think of? Animals, fun, children's story, right? Pipe cleaners. Like you make a giraffe out of a yellow and black pipe cleaner. And, or we think of this, this really big boat. And we think of Noah and his beard and his, maybe a, a staff with his family and like an elephant standing next to him and like endless water or maybe a dove flying in. But the, the story of Noah's Ark is a story of God's wrath. Because here's what actually happened. Rain started coming. The world was flooded. That means the world was flooded. That means there was no place, there, were, there was not water. And here's what's going on. Noah, probably filled with angst and tears and heartache, watching friends die. The wickedness of the world caused the flood. God looked everywhere. There's nothing but wickedness. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to destroy the world. Imagine you. Imagine you are not Noah or his family. You're sitting in your house and just rain, rain, rain. And soon enough, there's nothing but water. So you start treading water for a while. You start swimming places, looking for someplace, a tree to hang on to so you can breathe. Ultimately, what happens, every single human being on the face of the earth, except for Noah and his family, drowned to death. The wrath of God is a serious, serious thing. Sodom and Gomorrah, wicked, awful place, burned, destroyed by the hand of God's wrath. It's a serious, serious thing. Not to be trifled with. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is not mad at you anymore. Do you know what happened after the flood? What did God promise to Noah? Not going to do this anymore. Man, that makes me weep. Thankful, grateful to a holy God who has given us Peace through Jesus Christ. Let's go back and look at that verse again because it's really important. Let's take this apart. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified is a legal standing. You stand before God in a courtroom and he says, God says to you, you have no guilt. And it's not just... I excuse you from the guilt that you have. It is you have no guilt. Through Jesus Christ, through his finished work, not through yourself, not through anything that you've done, not through anything that anyone has done for you other than Jesus Christ. You have been justified by faith, and as a result of that, you have peace. And as a result of that peace, God is not mad at you anymore. 
I want to read a part of a verse that Dave read during the call to worship. Peace, John 14, 7. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Here's a really, really simple question. A lot of times pastors will ask a question. By the way, this is not a rhetorical question I'm about to ask. A lot of times pastors will ask a question that appear to be trick questions, and so you're hesitant to answer. This is not one of those. Whose peace do you have? Again, not rhetorical. Christ. It's Jesus' peace. Jesus. Jesus gives you his peace. I should have said before you that Jesus is talking here. This is, you have Jesus' peace. Do you think that as Jesus was walking along the earth, do you think there was ever a moment where Jesus was worried about what was going to become of his soul? Do you think there was ever a moment where Jesus was like, and what's going to happen? No, you, and, and Jesus has left you with his peace. Here's the thing that I want to confirm to you. You have the peace of Jesus. You have the tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation. It's yours. It cannot be taken from you. And here's the thing. The enemy, you have one hope and his name is Jesus. You have one enemy and his name is Satan. The enemy, he can't take your peace from you. The only thing he can can do is get you to believe that you don't have it. So if you're walking around this earth at any moment, at any time, thinking that you don't have full and complete acceptance with the Father, full and complete authority to go into his presence, full and complete relationship and confidence in who you are in his presence, if you don't have full confidence in that every moment of every day of every breath you take, Satan is lying to you. You'll never not have peace. You hear me? You will never not have peace. The only thing that can happen to you is you might not believe that for a moment or a time or a season or a life. Peace is yours, given to you by Jesus. This is why we have these little things right here. Here's the way we spend our lives. We're just struggling, yanking, trying to figure out. I, I got to study my Bible more. I got to please God more. I got to go cut a tree off a house more so that God will, I can be in his presence so that God can like me. And we struggle and we wrestle. And well, this didn't work. Tore apart. Bought them for like $1.20 at Nagel's. Uh, or I did really well at skee-ball. Please refocus, Rick. Um, but the point is, is that this is who we are. When we, we can gather around this, this, these chairs this morning and think through this idea of, of peace, and we can, we can, you know, have confidence and breathe and say, yeah, this is great. But we walk out the door and life happens to us 
and we think that somehow we've got to struggle and wrestle for our peace. Here's the key to having peace. Watch. Accept the gift that Christ is offered to you. Stop wrestling. Relax. Peace is yours. Through the finished work of the cross. Stop trying harder. Luke 15, I want to read this story, this familiar story to you all. And, and look at, at two people who doubt their peace doubt their position, doubt their identity, doubt their authority, doubt who they are. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have peace all the time. Familiar story. Don't let the familiarity think, let you think you know exactly what this is saying. Let's walk through this looking for peace or lack thereof. Luke fifteen eleven, And he said... This is Jesus talking. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far-off country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. And he spent everything. A severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of his citizens, one of the citizens of the country, who sent them into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. What kind of peace do you think is true of this guy in this moment? Probably not much. There's famine everywhere. He's destitute. He's eating what pigs eat. Do you know why he's eating what pigs eat? Because he has no idea who he is. Verse 17. But he came to himself. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? This is a, this is a beautiful verse. Look at this in light of Romans 5.1, in light of what you know is coming when his father runs to him and throws him a party. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He's beginning to get it, but he's not fully getting it. He's eating what pigs eat because he doesn't understand who he is. He's staying away from his father. Then he says, you know what? My, my dad's servants eat better than this. I could go back and be one of my dad's servants. So he begins to get it. He rises from the pig slop, but he wants to go back and be just a servant to his dad. Be like one of his, his people, one of his hired servants, not one of his children. So he kind of gets it. And this is where we lie all the time. Because you guys, I'm not bringing anything earth-shattering to you that I haven't said 50 times since North Church began. But we, we live here all the time. We, we kind of get this. And this is what's happening here. He kind of gets it. I can go back and work for my dad. 
I'm not going to live in slop anymore, but I can go back and work for my dad. Did you hear what I just said there? This is where we live our lives lacking in peace, that I've got to go back somehow and work for my dad so that he'll give me something, so that he'll give me my peace. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Lack of peace. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and embraced him and kissed him, ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. Please see the response of the father. There was never a moment of doubt that the father was going to see his son and run to him and kiss him and shower all that he had upon him. Verse 21, the son says it again. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and now is alive. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Peace. Confidence. Relationship restored. It's not the end of the story. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, your father has killed the fatted calf, and because he has received him, go back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But his father answered, Look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. You see the the lack of peace in the second son. He is outside of a relationship with his dad. He's counting all that he is, all that he's got, all that I've done for you. He is saying, this is what you owe me. He's wrestling, he's struggling, he's trying to control his dad. He's been trying to control his dad from the beginning. There's nothing about relationship and love that has caused this son, this older son, to serve his dad. There's only control that's here. And there's no peace there. This isn't the Messiah's peace. This isn't 
exhaling. This isn't enjoying the benefit of your relationship. This is control. And we are really, really good at that. And this is what the Father says to the Son. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Even in the midst of his lack of peace and and anger at his father. And frustration at the situation, frustration at where he is. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. He's trying to convince him of the peace that he has. Stop for a second. Just push out everything, all the distract, everything that, that I've, I've, I've been really distracted for like the last week and a half, and, and I, I can't get past it. And my prayer is, God, give me some focus, some direction, some mental focus. And here it is. God is ministering to my heart as I read this. And I pray that he ministers to you as well. Verse 31, look at it. The Father saying to the Son, the Father, Holy God, saying to you, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. This is the very definition of peace. You are always with me. Those imperative words like that, we use way too much. You always do this. You never do that. We, they lose their meaning in our vernacular. But this is Christ speaking to them in a parable, teaching to them about who God is and how he loves them. Always is a big word. When was the last time God was not with you? You are always with me. Son, you are always with me. Here's my hope this morning that we would block out all the distraction and hear God say to us, you are always with me. Because tornadoes are coming, cancer is coming, pain is coming, heartache is coming, difficulty is coming, our own sin is coming, our own lack of desire to repent is coming, our brokenness is coming, our hate is coming, someone's hate towards us is coming, this world is pressing in on us, there are distractions everywhere, all of this is happening But the foundation that's been laid in the life of the Christian is this. You have peace. You have a holy father who says to you, whether you're spending all your money with prostitutes or whether you're trying to control him with what you do and what you say and how you are. You have a father who says to you, you've always been with me. I've always been with you. What's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate 
and be glad. For your brother was dead and now is alive, who was lost and now is found. And the awful, disgusting part of this is that the older brother, we never find out anything about what happens to him. The last place we see him is outside of the peace of the Father. Outside of his provision. And that's dangerous. I want to go back to Romans 5, 1. want this to be a shower of the word of God over your heart. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have the tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, this is so foundational for how we live and operate in our world. John 14, 27. Jesus says to you and I, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. God's wrath is a powerful thing. It's a vicious and ugly thing. My peace I give to you, says Jesus. We live in a world of hardness, pain, disease. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. God is not mad at you anymore. Be at peace. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would 
teach us what peace is, Father. God, that you would weave it into the deepest portions of our souls, God. Father, would you give us confidence to enter into your presence? Father, would you show us our identity? That we are your sons and your daughters. God, teach us what peace means. Lay it as a foundation for our lives, how we see this world, how we live in this world, how we act in this world, Father. That we would stop trying to control you or stop thinking that we've done something so wrong. We're beyond your forgiveness. We would trust you. Trust your peace, God. Guide us as we respond to you this morning, Father. God, allow us to celebrate or allow us to just sit and be quiet and reflect, Father. We love you. We want to honor you. Give to you. Because of the beautiful peace that you've afforded to us. We thank you for Jesus and the peace that he gives to us. It's in his name.